Game time's over now, though. The the soccer moms have picked up their kids, and uh, the field is going back to general use. Oh, that's good. That's good. Um, I'm going to bring up my hula hoops and devil sticks, and we're going to have a grand old time. I brought my favorite Dave Matthews Band live shows, and we're just going to chill, chill on the field. Are you going to unceremoniously take a dump in the field in typical Dave Matthews fashion? I'm just going to take a... Is that, that was Dave Matthews, right? I'm not confusing with someone else. Yeah, that actually came up. Um, it was an NPR show I listened to. I forget which one. I think it might have been It's Been a Minute, where there are... Or no, it was the NPR Politics podcast where they're always like, what's like one thing you can't let go of this week when they do their week roundup? And one of them was like, it's the 10-year anniversary when Dave Matthews Band <laughs> dumped all their shit on people in the Chicago River. I'm like, that's that's what you're calling out? But all right, all right. Hey, got to take them to task. You got to remind people. You got to remind people. Oh, man. Ted Cruz is making memes about Foss trying to be like, look at, look at Beto O'Rourke. And then Beto's like, fucking look at you, bro. Yeah, it's it's an interesting situation down there. I saw a um I saw a, a segment on Vice um like a week or so ago and they, they did it about the elections down there and I guess that the Republican Party is like um I don't know if they'd been doing this for a while for it's a recent thing, but they have the strategy that um they covered in the segment, which is they'll have people with uh you know, Republican Party leaflets and shit, like waiting at the border for these new immigrants when they come in. And they'll just immediately, you know, they'll, they'll it's, it's so, it's so like goofy and like stereotypical in like a Star Troopers way. Like they'll, they'll get people to take a picture with, uh, you know, Uncle Sam and then he'll give them like a thing listing like, oh, you know, uh, uh, Democrats don't like, they're pro Obamacare and anti guns and, and, and pro abortion and shit like that. Um, but of course, they fail to mention the uh, the, the immigration thing because uh, that that may that may lose them a couple prospective votes with these people. From my brief time living in Texas, what I my perspective is that those guys aren't really Republicans. They're more very much of a libertarian kind of mindset of like, please just let me do whatever I want and stop asking questions. Oh yeah. I mean, you do okay. have that uh, evangelical megachurch sect, but a lot of the people I met actually had a very liberal social view of like, I don't fucking care. Um, but they just, it, but th- that was sort of their attitude towards everything. Just like, let me drive my pickup truck, not on the streets because everything is a road to me and let me just shoot at whatever I want. And we're, and we're kosher. I mean, that is, that is West of the Mississippi in a nutshell. So yeah. I, I definitely believe it. So it's, um, I'm, I, so I'm not surprised, number one, with Austin continuing to grow and with that attitude that Democrats could surge there on, on more of the social issue piece of, like, let just people do whatever they want. Who fucking cares? And Texas would be like, all right, yeah, who who fucking cares? Yeah, things are – it's – you know, Texas is such a weird state to, like, classify. It's just – it's, it's one of those – yeah, it's one of those situations where it's, like, it's it's so big and so diverse – um, that you know, to simply call it a red state or a, or a you know or, or or something that's turning into a blue state is is you know not really just glossing over the issue. Right, right. So, and and it's it's also bizarre that somehow we have this very loose connection to 
Mars Volta at the drive-in in in politics. It's like, of of course, the post-2016 world would provide us with this nonsense. I got got all excited yesterday because Rolling Stone shared like a... um, it was like uh, they, they were hyping it up like, oh, a lost Foss song, and I downloaded it. I was like, wait a minute. I already have this whole EP. Get fucking with it, Rolling Stone. Well, Come they're, on. They're not as deep into it as we are. No. no. I just it. found out that Rolling Stone had Jar Jar on the cover back in 99. Did you know that? No, I didn't. Oh, my God. The article is like it's, – it's very uh, – it, it came out before the movie. I think it came out the month before. And so the way that they talk about Jar Jar is so incredible. It's like, it, it, I, I get the feeling that the author kind of knew that it was going to be a shit show, but at the same time um, didn't want to cross a party line. And so it's just being very uh, forgiving and egalitarian and shit like that. Interesting piece of journalism. That's how I feel about Rolling Stone in general. Is I think they have so many connections and good relationships that it's hard for them to be hypercritical except for their politics articles which are also a little bit left-leaning masturbatory sometimes to the fault of critical thinking um and you and you know i'm a pretty 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 left of the spectrum folk but sometimes i'm like fuck you rolling stone you're not even trying you're just like barack obama's my favorite man ever (laughs) and but like when it comes to art and stuff it feels very rare i i can't tell you the last time i've seen anything get reviewed below three stars because David Frick or whatever his name is has to be on like, you know, he's he's thinking about the future for when those classic albums come out and they need a pundit to talk. Right. Get David Frick in there. Fucking make those dollars, David. <laughs> thank, thank you, Eagle Rock. <laughs> Are they even around anymore? Those documentaries were pretty good. I don't, I'm not I don't gonna lie. think so. I don't think so. I'm I so, remember I'm they so... put them out on UMD, if you if you remember those things. Holy shit, I do. You, you yeah. could get Air Force One on UMD. <laughs> Talk about... <laughs> Fucking Talk... Air Force One, Spider-Man One. I think Spider-Man all... Two you could get on UMD as well. I think you could get at least two of them. My, my friend was really big into the PSP, so he... He had some films with him, and he'd be like, oh, it's great. You can watch these things on the go. And then another friend of mine had one. It's like, yeah, or you can just illegally download movies and put them on your memory stick. It works really yep. easily. That's what I did, except I only had the the 16 megabyte um, uh, weird peripher- uh, uh, um, proprietary uh, memory card that they had with it. And I think all I had on there was like the, like the 30 second trailer for like Half-Life 2 Episode 1. I think that's all I had on there, just because it's all that would fit. Oh, man. That reminds me of, like, back when, you know, because my, my main mode of listening to music is still my iPod Classic. I uh, mean, it's a great device. Like, even 10 years past its prime or however long it's been, it still holds up. It, it holds up in its purpose in, in a lot of other aspects. It's, it's a giant piece of shit. Um, but it's still Do you have Rockbox? No, I don't. But I don't think okay. I think the last generation you couldn't install Rockbox, or maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. I'm sure I'm sure they find a way. Like, well, and I also you can also mod it to like ha- to take out the hard drive and put in an SD slot yep. as well and stuff. I haven't done any of that stuff, but because mine kind of putters along, um, but increasingly so, I have to make difficult decisions about what albums stay on the island and are taken off the island. Uh, yeah, because you have what you have an 80 gigabyte, right? No, I have I have the last one, which was 160, I think. Okay. 
So it, it's it's definitely. But then I look at my my computer and I have um, 435 gigs. So you know, I, I can only really take about a fourth of what I have with me at all the times. Um, anyway, uh, um, when those first came out and they had like the video capability and people were like, "Check it out! You can watch a movie on this." And I'm like. And so someone was showing to me, I'm like, I'm watching Too Fast, Too Furious on the tiniest screen in the, in the known universe. Why would I do... And it eats up so much space on the device. Like, why the fuck would I do this? Yo, I, I mean, I used to... I used to back, back in the day, I didn't have a big enough library to take up the whole thing. So I was able to get, like, my whole library and maybe, like, shift one movie out. Like, um, the first time that I saw Pulp Fiction, I'm ashamed to say, was on an iPod was, Classic. Uh, was, was on the screen of an iPod Classic. Yes. Hey, I think I told um, you I saw um, uh, two thousand one on a plane on an airplane, American <laughs> Airlines. You can watch two thousand one. That's that's how I saw. It. That's my cinematic experience. That's um, you know, I almost jokingly said that's what Kubrick intended, and I would be surprised if part of him did. <laughs> Though that was meant to be a burn on American Airlines, but... <laughs> Zing. I do have a movie thing I want to talk about briefly, though. I just saw uh, Suspiria, uh, the Dario Argento film, um, soundtracked by Goblin. Um, oh. And I, I hadn't seen... I've never... I'm not really a horror movie guy, so, like, the whole Giallo thing, which is what they called, um, uh, you know, Italian horror movies of that nature. So, like, that and... Um, uh, whatever the the Living Dead one is that's in the um in the fucking mall, but I saw this and uh, <laughs> it like the Goblin soundtrack isn't even as good as I remember. There's like two songs in the film that they go back to uh, all the time. There's like this one cool like scratchy sounding um, acoustic guitar, acoustic bass, drums jam, um, which is interesting to hear. And uh, then there's this uh, like it almost sounds like uh, like like lullaby music played on like a toy piano because um, like uh, I don't know it's a horror movie so I guess they they need that for atmosphere but the movie itself was not that good <laughs> um, so don't watch it uh, it's very nicely shot um, but I don't know maybe it's just because I'm not a horror movie guy but uh, like there there was a, there's a moment like 15 minutes in where like a, a creepy hand comes out of a glass to like pull someone out like outside of a uh, of a room um because they're looking out because they heard a spooky sound and like the head gets like pulled through the window and i'm like all right this is this is a lot to 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 ask just to listen to this goblin score there was no no one was really saying that those were necessarily good films they are just films with really interesting soundtracks no i i don't know they're they're they're, i mean a lot of them are schlock Yes, yes, but but the the thing about them is, um, and you know, this could be like a hindsight is twenty twenty uh, type thing, but like, um, they are very well shot. Like th- this one in particular, um, Suspiria, um, the the set design on it is uh, and the lighting is is really remarkable. It's it's a lot of um, a lot of uh, contrasting primary colors and shit. Um, so it has this. Uh, I read a description of it that, that called it like a, a candy-hued uh, horror film. Uh, so that that sort of gives you an idea of what it looks like. I would love, uh, I would love for that to have like a resurgence. I mean, I know it wasn't really popular and it wasn't super popular in the states. What, Giallo? 
yeah, that that Jalo style of film. That'd be cool to have some sort of a callback to that, especially with those those soundtracks. I mean, I know not all of them were out of the park, knocked out of the park, but like a lot of those Goblin soundtracks. Or one of my favorite is uh, the soundtrack to the movie Shock by Libra. Mm-hmm. Um, just to have something like that instead of just like the horrible PG thirteen because we want to get all the teenagers in the movie theater garbage that comes out nowadays. I mean, I think I think we're in the midst of a horror renaissance. Because um, you look at you, I know you're not much of a film guy. Maybe you've seen one of these, uh, I've seen but a movie like, or two. okay, uh, Citizen Kane. You know that one? I'm, I'm Do you know the one? With it. Have you Have you ever seen that film where the where the train comes towards the audience and everyone's scared it's going to hit them? Have you seen that one? I think I've seen that scene. Okay, um, but f- films like uh, The Witch and um, Green Room. And uh, it's it, it's sort of bringing it back to a place where, like, um, The Shining comes from, where it's more about how people react in horrific circumstances as opposed to a uh, mass murderer running runs around, kills a bunch of horny kids, you know what I mean? Which is, like, what it's evolved to. Well, I, I think we're beyond that now. It's just, like, loud noises. I mean, that's that's to me where I feel like we, right. are, we are at this point is just, hey, look, bang, thud, crash. And I'm like, that's, 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 that's not a scary movie. That's a startling movie. And yes. I could I could get that by just walking around the city and a car will randomly honk at me. And that's just as scary as um, a, a haunted house film or whatever it's called. The ones with the, with the spooky houses and, and the, the camera footage. Uh, oh, found footage. Yes, thank you. Yeah, I'm good with footage. movies. Well, I mean, like, <laughs> found footage isn't something you should... Uh should be clamoring towards knowing i don't know i shouldn't say that people people get their kicks off it i just think they're they're horrible money flipping schemes I mean, by studios I, I i can't deny that and i haven't seen it in 20 years but blair witch i thought was a good film when i when i saw it on vhs when it came out oh yeah well it's a fresh idea at that point right or like the ring or something like that but now it's like I'm sure that I could pull any situation out of my ass that's like half serious, and uh, I'm sure there's a found footage movie out there for it. Oh, I'm sure, I'm sure. Yeah, but uh, thank God we're not talking. Our podcast isn't about found footage movies. That would be a, a really rough podcast. This one's that's, about that's bleak. <laughs> that'd be a really bleak. It, it, this this podcast is called Music Talk, actually. So we talk about music from time to time. Uh, the website is now riffandrock.com. It's now live. So you're, if you're listening to this, you're in the future where this is a working website. It's actually working right now as we speak. Yeah. It is, it Johnny is, Five is alive. John, we have, we are, <laughs> this station is now operational. Um, Whoa. I know. But uh, Chris, how are you doing? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Um, actually, no, I'm not because now I'm, we're thinking about fucking found footage films going into this well i'm just thinking about like all the because there, there's there's so many shitty ones oh, just like ha- doing that bi-weekly or weekly or something i'm sure someone does it out there god bless them you're a braver man than i yeah hey this is a show where we just review really really garbage <laughs> cinema that would never take off no, that would that there's there would never be a market for such a such a feature. Um, but Chris, speaking of no markets, our music today doesn't really have a market. <laughs> no, no, this is Chris. This is this is one of your ideas. <coughs> this is you, another. This is another harebrained idea. It's another harebrained idea. 
Um, Tell us about it. So I would call this, uh, it was originally called Not Quite Fusion, because two out of three of these albums are Not Quite Fusion. One of these albums is Super Fusion, and a little bit boring. Um, (laughs) (laughs) So I think, I don't know, do you want to start off with that one? Um, with, uh, are, are, with we talking, are we talking about natural? Yes. All right. Yeah. Um, so let me preface two out of three of these individuals or two out of th- uh, I know next, I know nothing about one of them. I know next to nothing about in terms of the artists for these albums. Um, so these are, I have no context. I have no clue. Uh, so I'm probably just going to say a bunch of shit. That's incorrect and completely uh, inaccurate. Uh, but you know, fuck it. That's 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 how we operate around here. Uneducated. This is music talk, people. Yeah, not fact, not fact talk. <laughs> if you want fact, read a book. Nerd. So this first album is called "Natural" by Francisco Mondragon Rio. What a name! Yeah, um, I had it as a release date of ni- uh, release year of nineteen ninety one. Is that accurate? Nineteen eighty eight. I'm willing to bet that the CD came out in ninety one. Okay. So this is this is later than the big uh, fusion, was, blow, which was yes. what, like the mid mid to late seventies, is when Weather Report was really when they were really churning. Um, this was recorded in nineteen eighty five, which uh, that still doesn't help it. Right? Yeah. It um it sort of production wise, it 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 made me think uh, think similar things to that uh, Dunkel Ziffer album that we listened to because it's sort of like. This doesn't sound like a mid '80s album at all. No. Um, if any, I, maybe it sounds like an early '80s album. Maybe um, you're dealing with a lot of. Um, is that a chorus effect on the guitar? Is yeah, that what that is? Very, very much so. And yeah, very, uh, very I, have, I have strong chorus. feelings towards it. All right, let's dive in. What do you? Are you? Are you anti? Anti chorus? I'm not inherently anti chorus. Um, I periodically go on the internet and look at chorus pedals and go, do I need one of these? And I get excited about them. And then I'm like, no, fuck it. Why do I need one of these? Um, they're not inherently bad, but they definitely harken back to a different era. And um, unless used correctly, definitely have a very cheesy sound. Um, so I you think, would call it cheesy here? I, it doesn't quite hit cheesy, but it's definitely not great. Um, my, my initial re- response to this album was, I get nothing out of it. And I was going to message you earlier saying, this is going to be the shortest review of an album ever because I was just, my, my perception of this album was it was 40 minutes of music. Yeah. The end. No, mine too. Mine too. <laughs> I, I almost replaced it, but I was like, no, cause you know, like I said before, you need, it can't all be top tier albums no. or else we'd all be saying the same thing for for an hour and a half i i out. like the chorus effect um i will say that you know as i said before i think this album is pretty boring um it's wallpaper uh jaco pastorius's presence is something that uh is pimped heavily on the album cover and, and you know in the metadata and the, and the notes about it and shit um he he solos for maybe a total of like two minutes on two songs which is pretty crazy um but at the same time, uh, I, I kind of appreciated that. I was like, okay, you know, everyone who who knows that Jocko's going into this is going to expect him to just be uh, very masturbatory and shit like that. And he plays back, and he lets, um, you know, Francisco and uh, the sax and or flute player um, 
you know, do their thing, which is nice to, it's nice to see some restraint from a guy who really doesn't get talked about for having restraint because he's such a flashy person. Right. Uh, but I like the chorus effect. I don't know. I don't listen to uh, that much stuff that sounds like this for, you know, the whole album. Um, but I don't know. I think, I think the way that it's used here, it's a, it's a cool, um, sleek sound. Uh, is how I would describe it. I didn't didn't get as cheesy. I, I didn't get any cheesy vibes from it. Um, the the flute I liked. It's a, it's a nice addition. The flute and the percussion. It gives it a nice uh, tropical vibe, a Miami vibe. Which is I'm assuming where he met this guy. Jocko was uh, living in Miami towards the end of his life. Um, I think he died two years after this was recorded. Um, and uh, yeah, it's <laughs> it's. it's it's like the fusion that you would hear at like the cool department store in the in the seventies. Is how I would describe this, yeah. and it's mixed horribly. You can't. That's the that's the other thing I wanted to say about Jocko. You can't even. You can barely hear him. Like this album is is mixed so poorly. Um, I don't know if it's uh, maybe it was cheaply recorded or something like that because I've certainly never heard of uh, Mondragon Rio. Uh, so I don't know if this is just like a super low budget affair. Um, but I thought the mixing on this was trash. I fully agree. Um, I did not enjoy the mixing. I did not enjoy much about it. Um, the drums are mixed really weird where I think they sound like rototoms. The drummers hitting are like mixed crazy loud. So every time he hits a rototom, it's just like, they are <laughs> they are insane and it, it doesn't help that on the foreigner every time he hits a symbol someone goes beep beep boop beep beep boop i'm like oh fuck you just <laughs> oh the foreigner is a, a pink this album also has is feels a little weirdly erratic because you have three songs fledged fledgeton flagitin flugatin flem yeah, uh, give me some and the foreigner, which all kind of fall under a similar vibe, and then you have leapfrog, which I'm one. Uh, you're a little bit more of a big capital J jazz boy. Uh, is that like a classic jazz number that they're covering, or because that feels like from a completely different era? Sounds like something from forty, fifty years ago, thirty years ago, or so from that from that point, because it, it it feels like something not from this from this style. Um, according to the liner notes, no. Uh, yeah, these things are pretty incomplete, though. I don't know. It it does have a classic um, jazz vibe to it, but that's something that Jocko would do um, at his shows and shit. He would do, uh, you know, solo bass versions of these these classic jazz tunes. Um, yeah, this 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 album is. It's it's sort of a it's no it is it's not sort of it, it's definitely a cash grab album because it was put out the year after he died, and I'm looking at the album art. It's him and La Guitarista uh, on the cover, and on the back it's just a black and white photo of uh, the back of Jocko's bass or somebody's bass. Um, so they're definitely uh, pushing the angle here and like oh my like my this co- is my cover is. Uh just some statue in an aquarium. Yeah. That's a different pressing, I guess I'm looking at a, Oh, I found the other one. Oh no, that's bad. That's yeah. real bad. That's uh, I guess that's the, 
the non-US one or CD one or whatever. But yeah, that's it's Cash Grab City. Like, so I don't know. I, I feel that, like, I, I'm, I'm very middle of the road on this. You seem to not be into it on any level, but I would say um, it's, it's not offensive if you like jazz fusion music and you need to hear one more thing. If you did that one more, uh, Uno Mas, this is your album. This is this is the bottom of the barrel of the good stuff. I would say, look, if the I, very bottom. If I were to like walk into a club or something, and this was like a band was playing this style of music, I wouldn't be like, "Fuck, we have to get out of here." But would I ever actively spend money to listen to this? No, that's kind of where I where I am on it. Is okay. If if I stumbled into it. Sure, fine, fuck it, whatever. It's not like I'm not like angry listening to it. I'm not like, oh Jesus Christ, it's the weekend. Um it's more of like, okay, whatever. It's I it, it's the the musical equivalent of me shrugging my shoulders. Yeah, that's like, a good way to fine. describe it. It's I I don't hate it. I, I wish it wasn't mixed like hot garbage, but beyond that, uh it's 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 fine. It's whatever. Sure, would you, put it on. Your you look your parents won't hate it. Uh, would you would you say that your feelings differ at all then if you like consider the fact that it's like a jam from that shouldn't have been released? Although I don't know, that's like that's not, I'm I would be more forgiving if it was just a yeah if it's just like a jam session and they and then someone after Jocko died went fuck we need twenty bucks for another little bindle of heroin yeah fuck it put this out. Um, it's sitting on a reel somewhere in the back of a closet. Uh, yeah, I, I, I'm way more forgiving of it. It is it, just, if this was pitched as like a, Hey, we just, this was a little, little improv session we did and now we're releasing it. I'm way more forgiving versus this was a premeditated release. Then I'm like, fuck you. No, it's not. Yeah. And that's Fucking all I can really muster. Like I'm done. I don't want to talk about it anymore. I don't want to look at this <laughs> dumb album cover. I want to look at the other alternate dumb album cover. I like that cover with Aquarium Guy. If if that's those beautiful greens and oranges. Yes, yes. It's very nineties. <laughs> um, you were looking at the Japanese cover, which is <laughs> rough. The <laughs> boy, oh boy, oh boy, that's that's rough looking. Hey, whatever you got to do <laughs> when you're when you're the Mondragon himself. <laughs> the Mondragon himself. Uh, so then the second one we listened to, and I want to I want to review them in this order, and I have a logic behind it. But uh, Green Line, uh, Miroslav Vitos Vit Vitus Vitus Vitus. Um, he he sounds like he's from Europe, and there's some guys playing jazz music on it. I like he's from show. Weather Report. Oh, oh, Miroslav! <laughs> My boy, he's Miroslav. All, he's all grown up. <laughs> Jesus. Um, so I, I, I really, really like this album. I, I just, I want to say before we get too too far into it, uh, these other two albums I really did dig. Uh, Natural is completely forgettable, and I don't even know what it sounds like anymore. Um, these it sounds like beige. Yes. 
<laughs> it sounds like it sounds like the cover of that it, the color of that image. Um, it anyway, does. That's why it's a good album cover. <laughs> uh, this has a much more classic sound to it from released in the was it I think nineteen seventy yeah nineteen seventy. So definitely has that sound um, of the era. There's a lot of frenetic energy. There's a lot of open spaces also as well. It just I I, I dug this one a lot. Chris, why don't you talk a little bit more about it though? So I just found out recently that I guess this group um, toured in Japan and or I'm assuming Japan they toured they did a few dates um, and then they recorded this album in Japan um, for a Japanese label um, so we got we got Miroslav Vitas who as I said is from Weather Report and he's put out some really cool solo albums uh, Sonny Chirac. Uh, one of the most underrated guitarists of all time, um, as I'm sure we'll talk about shortly. And then uh, Daniel uh, Humer and uh, Steve Marcus, neither of which uh, I'm familiar with um, work-wise. Um, but yeah, this, this album is great. Um, ever since I started listening to uh, jazz music, I've been searching for this this album. Like, I didn't know that it existed, but it's sort of like the missing link between uh, free jazz and fusion, which are my two favorite um, genres of jazz. I, I, um, I like that description because that was something I had written down is that there's sort of this connection between there's sort of it plays in a, a couple different fields where you have um, songs like Melvin, which have this sort of retro jam vibe uh, that that little guitar uh, Diddy that plays throughout all of Melvin that that's yeah. you have stuff like that but then you have a song like Echoes um, or the song Green Line which have this very violent frenetic um, uh, uh, sound that uh, jostulates between very aggressive sounding and then very spacious sounding so it, it plays in a bunch of different areas and uh, it's interesting you, you, you mentioned the, the release history and I'm looking at at least on Discogs and there's only one it was released in japan 1970 it was never as far as i know if there was an official u.s release it's not even quite certain it's it's an unofficial release so there's now it was never even put out in the states so this is sort of a weird rare gem and um it falls the other in the part of the reason i brought that up too is i i maybe i'm wrong but i feel like there was quite a few like uh jazz acts fusion acts in this era touring japan i don't know if japan was just like super into weird ass jazz in the 70s oh, yeah. i don't know weather report weather reports um first live album which is my favorite album of theirs um it sounds pretty dirty like just the the way it's recorded and um the way it's played in a live setting as opposed to like the clean stuff uh, but that was recorded in japan um so yeah, the, Japan being an interesting market, um, even back in the in the seventies, um, to put this thing out, and uh, yeah, this is this is definitely the prize buck as far as I'm concerned. Like, uh, I'm so happy that I found this album. I fucking love this album. It, Can't say enough good things about it. Yeah, there's there's it's, a lot. It's going something on. that would very easily get lost to history, like without something like the internet. You know what I mean? Oh no, absolutely. Um and you have just this wonderful versatility of sounds. Yeah. Uh, this um this blending of different ideas. Uh I, I wrote down that it's like you have a song like Mr. Sheets, um 
uh, Mr. Sheets at Night that almost almost gives me like a John Coltrane or Ahmad Jamal vibe. This very mm-hmm. chill, cool jazz kind of sound. Um, and then yeah, very like, needed in the album too. It's nice to have a little breather. Well, especially uh-huh. because um, the the B side of the record, uh, the Green Lines and the Echoes, is very frenetic. So you have mm-hmm. this first half, which is very structured, very um, safe to listen to, very easy. Uh, the song Melvin is just some pretty solid, catchy riffs, kind of a fu- sort of funky riffs that then gets soloed over. Um, yeah, and like even in that 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 song in particular sort of encapsulates the album, I would say, because it's like you have the the funky head, and then as soon as it goes into solos, um, even over this lighthearted groove, you still have um, you know bowed bass, which I fucking love. I love hearing bowed bass. Yeah. Um, this album is full of it. And you have like the fucking chicken scratch thing that uh, Chirac does on the guitar and um, a lot of really noodly uh, upper register soprano sax, like all over this standard, you know, run of the mill funk groove um, that's still catchy as fuck. And so like it's it's really cool the way that it walks that line, you know, having cool hooks, but also having um you know, some some interesting bits that you could really sink your teeth into. And for me, that's something that I really like about almost, well, not just jazz, but any album in general, is when you can pay tributes to different styles in different eras, but it also doesn't feel hodgepodge, like, oh, this is this style of song, this is this style of song. And that was one thing I really liked about this record, is, you know, we're mentioning, well, it has this sound, it has this sound, it has this sound, but at the same time, no- nothing about it feels like it didn't belong. Everything felt like it was designed to be there really purposefully. Excuse me. Um, it was, it all felt cohesive versus like I mentioned on natural, you have a song like leapfrog that sounds like it was 30 years before everything else was written. And it was, if that felt ancient and everything else felt whatever, um, this, everything, while it pulls from different ideas and from different genres and different eras, it all has this cohesive vibe. I, I am very earnestly going to try and hunt down this record when i'm in japan next month oh yeah I, i'm trying to get a copy asap because like uh there can't be that many out there 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 just can't be well discogs has them at like 40 and 50 bucks so it's not crazy oh yeah i i i keep my eyes on uh on copies a lot um it, it's i and i know i've mentioned this band a million times but some of the more improv kind of sounds the more frenetic sounds especially because of how the, the guitar tone reminded me a lot of uh robert fripp's guitar tone in the 70s um uh gave me a yeah little... i guess when he does the fast runs yes yeah yes yeah. and so it almost reminded me a little bit of if you're if you're a deep king crimson head um their their first European tour when they were when they were recording Starless and Bible Black when that those are the shows that they would use as the source material for it some of those improvs they're doing during that time reminded me a little bit of this I know that's much more rock oriented this is more jazz oriented but some of the same sonic spectrum some of the same ideas and motifs um, uh, especially because I think it's Green Line it sounds like there's a violin in that song or it's a guitar I can't tell that's that's the bowed bass oh okay it's yeah. fucking nuts, right? But it sounds really high on the register, so I didn't think it was. Yeah. A but yeah, so that was I was like, it so it rem- again remind me of like like David Cross playing something like that. But mm-hmm. um, and especially on Green Line, uh, the bowed bass in conjunction with the drum work 
they're working together, even though it sounds like two disparate disparate things. They are very much in sync in a very frenetic, chaotic way. And so it does create this little bit of platform for the other two musicians to play off of, which it's when you the first time I listen to it, I'm like, oh, this is just chaos but the and but the second time I listen to it, I'm like no there is something going on there and they are playing off each other really really well it's just very uh 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 frenetic and very and not very uh catchy i guess is the best word i can think of so it's there it, it there's this weird under uh weird platform that provides the other two musicians to play from but it's it's very chaotic and it's it's and when you're listening, like, you know, one bow strike will instantly uh, generate a cymbal hit and the drummer will hit, will play, play a groove in a certain way and it'll, it'll motivate the bassist to play in another way. And so they're clearly feeding off each other's energy and it's really, really intoxicating to listen to. And it, it demands and it warrants additional listens. Yeah, I would say that about the, the title track, especially just the way that it builds. It sounds like uh, like a chemical reaction or something, just like bouncing all over the place, like people trading um, licks, <laughs> trading licks in a, in a Japanese studio in 1970. Yeah. You know, uh, my one complaint uh, about this album would be the the echoes. Um, even as someone who likes out there music, this is a little bit much for me. I would say, I would have, um, I would look even more favorably on this album um if that track was cut by like eight minutes and they played like like another like one more chill number like one more mr sheets at night type thing the only Um, the only reason i disagree is because of the order um i had these listed in in my ipod is when the the echoes is this ballistic much more free jazz sounding a, a song there's a kazoo. There, how much crazier can you get? Um, <laughs> but I had it actually; it would play right into uh, the next album I had on the list. On, on on the list was the Sunra album. We're gonna get to in a second. Languidity, and the echoes cuts has a hard cut. Yep. Um And so it's this hard cut, and then soft uh Rhodes piano from Sunra right afterwards and I thought I was like oh this is just sort of like the coda to the song I'm like no the album switched <laughs> so it was a, a totally accidental it does you can't really give it credit but it worked brilliantly like this ballistic thing and it just boop nope we're right into this I mean honestly this album needs to end with like a sudden cut you yeah. know what I mean that's the only way they could have done it like but that's uh yeah, that's a that's a cool way to do it. I it, give it a try. Give it a try when we're done here, and you're gonna be like, "Holy shit, this works perfectly!" Got the remix, right? Um, I would highly recommend this album to, frankly, anyone, just because I think there's enough going on here in these four tracks that you're gonna find something you like. Um, also, it's a really short album; it's only 34 minutes, so yeah. it's you're you're not in for a long haul. It's not dense. Um, it will even at its dentist moments, it's going to end soon. So you're not like too far in the weeds, but you have songs, especially the first half of the album, Melvin and Mr. Sheets at night that are very, going to be very beginner friendly, very uh, pleasant to a novice listener. And then you, if you're a little bit more of a veteran in jazz, progressive styles of music, you got the second half of green line and the echoes, which are going to really uh, tussle your hair. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
yeah, I can't recommend this enough. It's it's I would say that this is and like the the real jazz people will will give me a, a spanking for this, but I would say it's a good first baby's uh, free jazz album. Um, oh, I agree because because you have you have stuff that you can um, follow with the heads and shit, and it's in a in in sort of an augmented perverted rock band format, so it's a little bit easier for <clears throat> people today to digest. Um, yeah, definitely pirate a copy of this because uh, you're not going to find it on iTunes. <laughs> but so that leads us again, as it did perfectly into from the frenetic energy of the ending of Green Line to the tranquility of Lanquidity Ooh. of Sun Ra. Sun Ra is a bit of a unique soul, um, a dark horse in the jazz world. Uh, with his own mythos and philosophy tragically uh, I would say never as lauded and praised as some of the other big names like Mingus Coltrane and Davis but I firmly believe Sun Ra even though maybe the villain of the film deserves his own place in the pantheon because he produced some truly amazing music he also produced a seismic mountain of it but you have given us 1978's Lanquidity a true uh, change in pace for him. Um, really didn't make too many uh, quote-unquote fusion albums. Um, this is the closest that he gets to it. And uh, yeah, I, I guess he does it pretty close, but he, he does it in his little Sun Ra way. Um, and yeah, this is his take on fusion. Um, it has a pretty... I guess we should talk about Pathways first. That's a uh, that song surprised me a lot. Um, if you played that song and, and you know asked me to guess who it was like or, or any anybody, I don't think that <laughs> Sun Ra would pretty be pretty low on that list. It like that song been, is so funky. It has, but it's, the, it has it, sun, it has that Sun Ra quality to it at the same time though. It reminded me of like a big band kind of number. That's why I was yeah. super confused. Is that you I had, mean this is a big band? Like he, I I can't. I mean, I'm sure he did, but like by and large, he was usually recording with like 15 to 18 people. I would say that's like normal for him. Um, so he, I would definitely put him in like the big band category. Okay. So this is the, he's he, you know. Well, it doesn't really come across that way, especially with the opening track of Lanquidity. Um, it's 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 a really plotting. That song's very plotting. It's haunting. It has this disoriented or intoxicated kind of feel like you're stumbling home after the bar you might have already gotten punched in the face once kind of thing um and then you get into pathways which has this big excited sprightly kind of sound to it so it's also the you've done another line of cocaine and you're ready to go back out party (laughs) (laughs) yeah exactly like it's very weird in that way where you're like i just thought we were in the most depressing song and now we're like hey everybody let's do this oh man and that has Fucking, um, is that just like a, a wah on that guitar or like some kind of uh, filter? I am not totally certain. I love that sound. No, that, it's great. That sound. Um, so yeah, this, this that's sort of like the 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 high point of the album, um, and they sort of get a. It's sort of like. It's sort of like the inverse of Green Line. Like instead of having the um, the uh, the the chill point 
for the second track. They have the high point for the second track here, and the rest of it sort of goes back down to um, a low brooding level. Yeah, uh, especially like the, the next, end. Yeah, the next two tracks, um, That's How I Feel and, and Stars of Fence feature uh, Sun Ra pretty heavily uh, leading things uh, with an electric piano. Yep. Um, and, you know, you can only play so intense on, a, on an electric piano, so that sort of gives you an idea of where those tracks are at. And um, the ending is my favorite, favorite uh, Sun Ra track and, and a great way to close the endings. Um, I would say that, uh, you know, it's, it's also similar to the Green Line one in that it's kind of noodly, but it's not like, it's not intense noodly. It's, it's a lot chiller. Um, it's got a very psychedelic kind of noodle vibe. Yeah. Um, Especially when they're like whispering, like, there are other words. There are other yeah, words. that's that is nice to listen to in headphones. Um, <laughs> he bounces that shit all over the place. It's great, right? Um, and yeah, it just sort of it's 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 like watching a candle burn. It just sort of um, extinguishes uh, softly, and that's how the record ends. Um, so yeah, this it and and you and I were talking about this before. It it sort of. I won't say that it goes against the myth of Sun Ra, but um, it, it definitely shows a, a different side to him than than is usually talked about. Right. I mean, this this has a lack of better expression. This has a commercial sound to it for the most yeah. part. It's very except for the last track where it's pure Sun Ra all the time. Yeah. Um, the the other four tracks uh, have a very cohesive sound. They're very easy to follow. I mean, the opener, Lanquidity, does have a bit of a disorientingness to it. But overall, it's still very manageable and trackable. And then you have, I mean, where Pathways Meet, which has this big sprightly sound. And then you have these two chill grooves of That's How I Feel and Twin Stars of Thence, which are just kind of good chill, uh, chill songs. Um, this is an album... Ultimately, that make I feel like you put you have some friends over. You put on the background. Uh, not that you can't appreciate it when you're like with, with a good pair of headphones, but you could also put it on, and it just it's some good background music yeah. to kind of to have some friends over with. Yeah, it's sort of the opposite of natural in that way. This is good background music. This is good wallpaper. Right. Um, yeah. The I would say that um, that's how I feel in Twin Stars. They sort of remind me more of. Um, of uh of a bitch's brew type sound yeah that's a good point uh especially some of the more uh groove oriented tracks on that album like uh um what is it i think uh pharaoh's dance is the one i'm thinking of yes um yeah i'd like it's you know it it does have a it does have a more commercial sound certainly a more um digestible sound but uh, as I said before, it sort of has um, the the those slight touches that make it um, Sun Ra. So like, um, you know, having it be uh, a big band that just sort of you know takes its time. It's like lumbering. You know what I mean? Like very uh, much. Like an ad at Walker. <laughs> uh, it lumbers across the jazz landscape, uh, searching for hidden rebel bases. Um, I don't know where to go from that. You can't. You've that's that's pure peak. Pure I'm peak. in the hole. Yeah. Help. No, no, you're you're stuck at the top. You can't get down from that mountain. And any attempt to climb higher it will prove like fruitless. 
I'm like the protagonist in that Yes song about getting stuck on the mountain. <laughs> what is Careful it? Now, you're, getting, you're getting close to the edge. Yes. <laughs> um, I would recommend this album. Oh, absolutely. Uh, this is a solid album. Um, this is a good first Sun Ra album, I would yeah. say, for people to listen to. Sun, Sun Ra, to me, has a similar issue as John Zorn, where you're like, hey, I want to get into this artist. Well, here's 12 zillion albums. You're like, fuck, now what? And, and it doesn't help that, like, um, in the, it's sort of like a, a, a positive-negative thing. He um, he did a lot of home recording, and because of that, he actually um, helped popularize a lot of uh, innovations and, and, and methods uh, that were new to it then. Um, but at the same time, uh, a lot of his stuff has bad sound quality um, just because it's, like, literally recorded in his fucking living room in Philly. Um, this fortunately is not one of those albums. Um, it has a good sound to it. So, uh, very easy to listen to. Um, and I agree. This is a must listen, especially two out, two out of three of these albums, green line sunrise. I would, and I, I know we mentioned it, but bears repeating both are good, especially if you're not into jazz yet, or you're curious about jazz, both have enough safe elements to dive into be safe to dive into natural is just boring like i can't i can't recommend it and i like even if you're like not into jazz you're just gonna be like what the fuck is this what jazz is it's just like some people noodling at the coffee shop you're gonna be like no it's so much more than that they sometimes groove at an opium den as well that's right sometimes in space as with sun Ra. yes he he lived on his own planet he did fucking Jupiter, <laughs> or was it Saturn? I can't remember. I don't. It know. was Saturn. I think it was Saturn. He Guys, was... he thought he was from Saturn. He, he was. He was an odd duck. That duck was strange. But he made beautiful music. God damn, he did. Um, Chris, what have you been listening to? Um, we got a uh, John Zorn. Man's at it again. Just uh, put out the next book of. Um, Masada material, um, some albums of which uh, we reviewed on a previous episode. Uh, this has uh, 11 volumes that he put out simultaneously, so that's 11 albums. Um, and as usual, a uh, bunch of different groups. Um, the one which I like most is uh, Banquet of the Spirits, uh, which is sort of a... Um, it's like Sun Ra, it's like a no not Sun Ra. I got Sun Ra on the brain. It's like um that old Sun Ra brain. <laughs> it's like uh Santana but with more of a but with like a Brazilian thing going on instead of a, a Mexican one. Oh. Um so that's some cool shit. And uh there's another one called Abraxas which is not a Santana ripoff. <laughs> sort of like uh that sort of has like a a Mars Volta um, Omar thing going on mm. uh, but then there's some really weird things like I think there's a I think there's a vocal duo one um, so that's one I won't be listening to one album I listened to recently was the Congos Heart of the Congos um, one of the classic uh, albums that really brought reggae to the forefront um, here here's a here's an update for everybody uh i i don't care about reggae uh it's n nothing against the genre it just does very little for me um but i will say this album had some good moments uh there's a lot of fun little filtering effects to it um some little studio wizardry uh 
but it just ultimately the the genre itself is not particularly exciting to me um and that's not that's bad it's just a personal preference but if you're into reggae if you've never heard heart of the congos i'd say you should probably check it out because it's it's sort of one of those beginning of the timeline kind of albums that really brought it to the popularity um beyond that listening to a lot of can bootlegs lately uh as chris can attest i, I would the, our little chat group i i just post about it periodically like fuck this shit's good um especially getting into 1975 bootlegs where the the can book says that's there's a lot of argument that that's their best live era um or one of their best live eras and i would strongly agree um two shows i listened to recently one was uh in live in arles and from august 6th and then one live in paris from january uh and yeah these guys are just fucking ripping even though their studio albums at this point were dipping in quality they were still crushing it live and just doing some really cool exciting stuff stuff that never got put out on albums such as meadow sweet and gamora which confuses the hell out of me because they were amazing songs even though every time they played them they sounded a little bit differently uh or you gonna say something no oh uh and then i will say that i i did just see uh um uh, an old gray whistle test thing that they did. I think it's from that era. When they, when they play, uh, uh, oh god, Vernal Equinox and Ermin Schmidt's karate chopping his keyboard. I seem to remember karate chopping. Yeah, and he's got like a chainmail vest on or whatever. That I don't remember. Yeah, there's there's a great old gray whistle test uh, performance where Ermin Schmidt, the keyboardist, is wearing like a chainmail shirt and he's like hard like karate chopping his keyboards and just going fucking crazy. It's it's good stuff. It's like right before things started going downhill. And I think like 10 to 12 months later, Holger was no longer playing the bass. And it was the 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 other guy playing bass and Holger was just playing radio sounds. And that's when shit really fell apart. Um, one more real quick that I listened to recently that uh, really dug. Um, lately, I've been on a Fiona Apple kick, finally getting into her music. And I finally listened to the album Title, one of her albums that doesn't have a thesis as an album title um <laughs> did she do that more than once or was that just a joke no well, there's the idler wheel and then there's the ones like when the pawn hits the when the, pawn the guinness hits, world record one yeah yeah it's just something silly um i really want to like trumpet and it would just be like like best it and it, it's just gonna be like a bunch of like dot 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 like ellipses and then just fart that's gonna be my album title it's just lots of lots of dot 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 and then some stupid crude juvenile word because I am a child. Anyway, uh, this album's great too. Uh, I haven't heard a bad Fiona album, Fiona Apple album at this point. All of them have been great. Uh, they all are creative and interesting and a great uh, demonstration of great uh, singing and songwriting qualities that um, sometimes feel sorely missing in modern music. What would you say that she does? Uh, all I know about her is that the the title thing. But like, what what kind of music does she do? Is it like... Is it singer-songwriter shit? Yeah, uh, she plays piano. There's usually bass and drums. Sometimes there's a guitar as well. Uh, a lot of songs about being sad. Um, but uh, some songs are more ballady. Some songs do rip. Uh, it's, uh, I think, really, really good stuff. Um, I I don't have like a specific song I would recommend, but I mean, if you picked up any of her albums, it's going to give you somewhat of a sense of what all her other albums sound like to some degree. Um, and I thought, I felt that all of them have been pretty, pretty good. I've never found one that I'm, I was even ho-hum about. I'm, I'm engaged every time I listen. And especially considering that album came out in 1996, which was like right around the dirge of 
uh, new metals coming and all sorts of garbage music on on the on the on the rise. It's it, it was post grunge. Post grunge, yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> there's there's a lot of we're gonna have to dive into that one day. We're gonna have to oh do my like god a post grunge new metal episode. <laughs> Fucking get your scuba tanks, kids. <laughs> go deep in the shit we're going into the shit <laughs> we're the bravest souls in in the music journalism world no and, one's and the darkest us. souls we're the darkest souls <laughs> riffandrock.com the darkest souls in the music world <laughs> uh chris it was a treat as always oh yes pleasure was all mine it was you picked all the albums <laughs>